The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Musicians have been covering other artists' songs since, well, songs existed. Standards, spirituals, and folk songs were all meant to be interpreted, while the early history of rock and blues saw song swapping with abandon. And sometimes, when another artist takes on an established song, something magical happens. The new version ends up being far greater than the original could have ever hoped to be. With that in mind, the great pop culture debate wants to discuss, what is the best cover song of all time? Whitney and Dolly hoped all that life would treat me kind, but it's really been like a kind bar. Sticky, tough to swallow, and filled with nuts. I'm your host, Eric Resniak. Please welcome this week's panelists, who are just putting their own spin on what panelists before them have already done. She'll break your throne and cut your hero. It's Andrea Guerrero. Hallelujah, Eric. Hallelujah. And ain't no mountain high enough to keep this proud Mary from joining today's debate. It's Derek Makita. You can't see it, but I'm giving you some real deep shoulder action right now. That's all I want. It's all I want is deep shoulder action on my proud Marys. And finally, he's just wild about Kimmy, and Kimmy is wild about he. It's Johnny Minogue. Oh, she just keeps this kid in America hanging on. Mm-hmm. So, how does this work? Since this is a mini-sode, there was no public poll. Our panelists thought long and hard about great cover songs in pop music history, and they picked their individual top 12s. We compared notes, moved forward with ones that had multiple votes, and then pushed up a few of our own personal favorites. We added those to a top 16. Now we argue about it and insult each other all for your amusement. Want to play along at home? You can go to greatpopculturedebate.com and find the polls and brackets tab. There you'll find the listener bracket for this in every episode. Make a copy for yourself. That's super important. Actually make a copy. Fill it out and see if your picks line up with ours. So before we start, I want to ask my panelists, what were some of the cover songs that you suggested that were upset did not make the bracket? And I want to start alphabetically with Andrea. So my first song that I have is Hurt, originally by Nine Inch Nails. Um, covered by Johnny Cash. Um, I think most people have heard this version. I remember when it first came out, um, it kind of took the internet by storm. Everyone was talking about it. Like, oh my God, Johnny Cash covered Nine Inch Nails. How amazing. Um, And I remember reading that Trent Reznor was a little hesitant to let him cover the song because he thought it was going to be like cheesy. But obviously, as we know it today, it is just heartbreaking and haunting and beautiful and it's just such a well done cover. And honestly, like Johnny Cash can do no wrong. I don't know why anyone would think that something that he would do would be cheesy. It's Johnny Cash. Um, and the other one that I have is Baby One More Time, originally performed by Britney Spears, covered by Fountains of Wayne. Um, I love the story for Baby One More Time. It was written by Max Martin, who's a Swedish uh, pop songwriter. He's written probably most of like the most famous pop songs in the last like 30 years. And it got passed around. I think it was originally written for like TLC or something like that. Um, and then Christina tried it and then Britney finally picked it up. Um, but it eventually came through the Fountains of Wayne desk at some point as well. Um, and they just do this kind of like 
slow crooning sad cover of it and it's just really fun to listen to compared to the britney spears version if you haven't listened to it go listen to it it's out on spotify it's wonderful and actually we have a playlist specifically for this episode that we created on spotify which has the original versions and the cover versions right next to one another when possible there are a couple of situations where the originals were not available but uh we will make sure to put a link to that in the episode on uh our website, greatpopculturedebate.com, and we'll pass it around the internet uh, like the party bottoms that we are. Uh, so thank you, Andrea. I appreciate that. Derek, you're up next. Yes. Um, speaking of party bottoms, I'm going to come at you with two really gay songs. Um, yes. Ray of Light, which was originally a song called Seferin by the folk duo Curtis Muldoon. Um, a lot of people don't know this was a cover. Madonna and William Orbit brought this obscure song to new life as the title track of her 1998 album. And as a gay boy in high school, I can't emphasize enough the impact that this song and its album had on my life. It's Madonna doing some of her best work. And honestly, it'll always have a special place in my heart. Yeah, um, and I, I really don't think, and it's one of several songs that you'll hear on this episode, folks, that people were aware it was a cover, certainly not at the time. And I don't think people even now realize, because when you, I was like, you're sure that's a cover, Derek? And he's like, yeah. yeah, go listen to it. And it's clearly a cover. Yeah, it's confusing because it has a different title. Yeah. Um, Madonna's version has a different title, but it is, when you listen to the lyrics, it is very clearly a cover. Yeah. Um, the other song is MacArthur Park. Mm-hmm. which was originally recorded by OG Dumbledore actor Richard Harris. Yes! <laughs> Complete with signature 60s harpsichord sound. Really groovy. Um, this was actually a hit for Harris, but I would argue that Donna Summer's cover as a disco anthem is the definitive version. It gives such emotion. And among her many hits, it really holds its own. Oh, for sure. And I feel like the Harris version lasts like 29 minutes. It just keeps going. <laughs> Um, it lasts longer than his entire screen time as Dumbledore in the True. first two uh, movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, Derek. How about you, Johnny? What did you have? Um, my first pick is uh, You Got the Love, which was originally done by the Soros and Candy Staten. Um, that was done by Florence and the Machine. So um, You Got the Love was originally a dance track that really came, came to its own in the late 90s when it was remixed during the kind of height of the rave era. Um, but then it got kind of new life at the end of Sex in the City. It was the last song they ever played in Sex in the City, also tied into the new, um, and just like that, uh, uh, TV series. But Florence and the Machine, for their first album, they ended up doing a recording of the remix version of that song and it's so it's so like beautiful this the vocals are soaring she takes it to a place out of the club and kind of makes it ethereal and celestial but doesn't lose any of that power that it had as a dance track um i absolutely love it it's it i wouldn't say it's obscure it's just kind of there's so many other songs on that track and so many other florence songs that it kind of gets overlooked but i absolutely love it the other one is higher love which was originally done by steve winwood and chaka khan in 1986 and then was redone by james vincent mcmorrow so the original version is very 1980s uh motown inspired pop but the james vincent mcmorrow version is sad it is just him with this kind of almost falsetto voice longing for this person and i 
when I first heard it, I know I love the original version so much. And we're going to be talking about Shaka Khan later on today. But Shaka Khan. Uh, Shaka Khan. That's going to happen oh. this entire episode, folks. I'm going to break <laughs> right now. Expect that. Go on, Johnny. I'm completely on board with that. Um, but it's it takes it to a place which I never necessarily ever thought it would ever go. It is not it. It just has none of that bombast. It has none of that kind of like amazing vocals. And it's just this one guy in like the piano. And I couldn't believe when it first started. I will say when I do hear it, I still put in the kind of trumpets in the back of ba, 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 da. but I still love it as what it is. And it's not as well known, but I, th- I think it really should be. Am I crazy or did isn't there a version of Higher Love that's Whitney Houston with Kygo as well? Yes, that that yes. was released a couple of years ago. Although she did that in 1990, that was a kind of a, a B side to the um, "I'm Your Baby Tonight" era. Miss Misery, Miss Misery McRae told mm. me about that. The legend Miss Misery McRae first told me about that song many years before. And I think one thing I discovered while putting together this episode, I don't know if the rest of you did, but there are a couple artists that I've loved who have done so many cover songs and I didn't really make that recollection. You'll see as we go along. There's one in particular, like her entire career is ripping off this poor other woman. Um, (laughs) So brace yourself for that. Um, My two picks that did not make it to the bracket. First is Venus by Bananarama uh, covering uh, Shocking Blue. This one I very nearly pushed to the Sweet 16, but we had a couple other gems from the 80s that were covering 60s songs, and I wanted to make sure that we diversified the overall grouping. Um, But this version is just so much better the original sorry like the original has a a cool funky jam to it but this one just has so much energy and a groove and it's just unabashedly sexual in a way that uh, i find really exciting um and then the other one I, I, I was torn with because it's No More I Love You's by Annie Lennox, which is originally done by The Lover Speaks. And I say that it is, I'm torn because I've never heard the original. I don't know, frankly, if her version is that much better, but it is from her entire cover album, Medusa, which in my opinion is one of the best albums of the 90s. It's nothing but cover songs. All of them are incredible. And this song in particular, like it, it shouldn't have been a hit and it was a huge hit. And I absolutely love it. it. It showcases all of Lennox's strengths and it was ethereal and powerful and coquettish. Um, and I just love the whole thing and it's a cover. So what it did make me realize is I didn't push this one to the sweet 16. Cause again, I don't know what the original sounded like. I can't find it even now, but I do want to do an entire episode devoted to best cover albums. Cause there are some killer ones out there. So if you're listening and you're hearing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have an idea. Please send it to us uh, at our social media. So with that out of the way, let's get into the actual debates. We start off with two decisive victories as Aretha Franklin's respect made sure that I think we're alone now by Tiffany really was alone in the vote department and Cindy Lauper's girls just want to have fun which yes really is a cover song folks took a very literal approach to the Fuji's cover of Roberta Flack's Killing Me Softly but Johnny you did say that you wanted to say something about Miss Flack yes I wanted to just talk about uh, Killing Me Softly when it came out with the Fuji's and their version is absolutely you know amazing and it brought Roberta Flack in for a new generation. Fun story about that is that she was in a department store in the mid nineties, had known that the actual song was being re-recorded and she thought it was hers just being remixed and then found out that it wasn't even hers. And she was like, amazing. I need to meet them. I want to work with them. And she did. And she recorded with them. um, Well, at least did live recordings with them, but um, the MTV movie awards, she was 
with them. It's it, it's a cool bringing together of two different uh, genres and generations together. Um, but you know, it's uh, unfortunate that you can't go through. But it was a great it's a great little side thing about uh, Roberta. Yeah, and I would say I don't. I mean, you kind of touched upon this a little bit, Andrea, with uh, the Johnny Cash Nine Inch Nail thing. That's one of the cool things about cover songs is it's sometimes used as a way of passing on a great song from generation to generation and also bringing past generations kind of into prominence again, where, you know, making them fresh and new for a whole new group of people that otherwise would have no idea who they are. Like the nineties, Johnny Cash, where was Johnny Cash in the eighties? Like he was country, right? Right. Yeah. Like uh, um, outlaw country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so if you weren't listening and then suddenly in the nineties, he was, a superstar like a, a pop culture superstar mm-hmm. and then when he like, passed away he even got more fandom after that um and i think that's really when that um hurt cover took off too yeah yeah so it is it, it is fascinating to see how these songs kind of um not just take on a life of their own but they also give the artists who originally performed them a spotlight too so uh moving on three quarters of the panel wants to sing the praises of jeff buckley's hallelujah originally by leonard cohen while Derek wants to uh, uh, run away he wants to uh, uh, get away and instead vote for soft cells tainted love originally by gloria jones andrea why should hallelujah go to the fourth the fifth rounds Derek, take my tears but that's not nearly all and make us fall for tainted love and i'm gonna have Derek go first so <clears throat> not only is this an iconic 80s classic, it's actually a twofer. It's giving us double Motown covers of both Tainted Love and Where Did Our Love Go? Um, now, I will grant you that the Supremes version of the latter song is still the definitive version, but its inclusion on this track by Soft Cell just makes this song like that much better. Soft Cell actually came to this cover in a circuitous way after the song had made its way from like an obscure Motown flop to UK Northern soul hit. And then they put their own kind of unique synth twist on it, which really helped propel a second British invasion in the, in the early eighties. This was a smash hit in the UK and arguably even bigger hit in the U S spending a then record breaking 43 weeks atop billboards hot 100 what it all, is that yeah, true yeah yeah it also ranked number five on vh1's uh 100 greatest one hit wonders of the 80s so this has real cultural staying power and sidebar if you're interested in the best one hit wonders of the 70s and 80s we've already got an episode for you go check it out yeah we do and we'll do 90s and 2000s at some point so thank you derek good argument andrea what have you got for us for hallelujah um first for tainted love like i just i I do love that song i mean who doesn't obviously but i just can't separate it in my head from the coneheads either like every time (laughs) i hear that song all i see is dan Aykroyd in his conehead outfit and i can't handle it yeah Um, that's a boner killer right there (laughs) yes but Um, cultural cachet see what i'm saying true very true (laughs) um but for hallelujah i mean obviously leonard cohen is an amazing songwriter and lyricist and this song is just lyrically so complex and layered um and it's uh, one of those songs that everyone's heard and they've probably heard the cover version um but know that it's a cover version it's it's kind of one of those rare things where uh i feel like most people know that it is a cover version um 
but just lyrically, I love how um, textured and complex it is just with the religious aspects and broken love. There's like really subtle sexual innuendos in it. Um, And the original version, there's kind of this like synthy undertone to it, which it sounds great, but I just love the way that Jeff Buckley really strips it down to this haunting acoustic version. So you're really getting the lyrics and you're not being distracted by some of the other stuff that's going on musically. Um, And every time I hear the song, I'm just like, I'm moved every time, like something inside me is moving and it's just uh, a beautiful song that I can't get over. It is a evocative song, especially the Buckley version. Johnny, where are you on this one? So I ended up going with, I ended up going with Hallelujah at the end. But honestly, I was when you mentioned that the two for, and that was really what pushed me over to Hallelujah the first time. I was like, I actually really love the second version of of the soft sultana love. I actually like the word I love go. Um, part of it. I think it's part part of just growing up with the Supremes and Motown as just part of my cultural zeitgeist. It's like it's, I can't like ever anytime I hear something from the Supremes or Diana Ross, I'm like, yes, I love it. Um, but I think overall, I as a kind of change, like it was it, of a change ancient kind of song. I just love that Jeff Buckley version of um hallelujah it really kind of set the tone for the other covers that came after it um there was leonard cohen's version there's jeff buckley's version and all the ones post jeff buckley's version Mm -hmm. so i think it really was the kind of change to where people were going to go and reinvent that song is kind of goes from the jeff buckley branch less than the leonard cohen branch yeah, and I, I think we'll talk because I'm also going to go for Hallelujah. I love Soft Cell. I love Tainted Love. It was if it was up against virtually anything else, I probably would have voted for it. Derek, it's just the other thing we didn't talk about is Hallelujah, specifically the Buckley version, is used in pop culture constantly. Yeah, constantly. It's in Shrek for crying out loud. It is. <laughs> I don't think it's the Buckley version in Shrek though. I think it's the Wainwright version. I could it's be wrong. It's the Wainwright version. Um but regardless, this song it, I mean talk about omnipresent cultural cachet, right? Um almost to the point where it's I was like, "Oh, it's an emotional moment. Here's Hallelujah." But um and I, I, <laughs> for those reasons I had to advance it. And I think we'll talk more. I think it was a great point, uh Johnny that at this point I do believe that people are working more off the Buckley ver- the, the Buckley version than the original by Colin. I think you can hear it in, in the redos. But Absolutely. We will be advancing that and talking about it in round two. Meanwhile, another 75% split as the majority of the panel wants to drink Magnolia wine with Lady Marmalade from the Moulin Rouge tarts. But Johnny is asking us to look around at the leaves, which are brown, and consider the merits of the Bengals' Hazy Shade of Winter, originally by Simon and Garfunkel. I'll explain why Marmalade is better than Mocha Chocolata. Johnny, please demand that time looks at what we ha- what has become of me and champion winter. I'll have Johnny go first. Okay, so I think one of the things with this song is that um, people really don't remember this song as much overall as part of the um, as the Bengals total um, discography. Um, they gets overshadowed by things like Walk Like an Egyptian and um, Manic Monday. However, I feel like it really stands out as one of their best songs. Um, they were they were prolific musicians. They were groundbreakers. They were a group of women who were playing their own. They're playing their own music. They were playing their own instruments. Like there was, it was still a bit of a novelty in 1987 when they recorded this. Additionally, that sent them apart from some of the other groups. They didn't 
really at first have a quote lead singer. Susanna Hoffs was the kind of de facto lead singer, but unlike with the other groups, they had multiple singers, the uh, the Peterson sisters, Vicky and Debbie, as well as Michael Steele, they all sang their own parts. In In Hazy State of Winter, Vicky um, Peterson ended up being that, um, really the lead for two thirds of the song. The it was they had been doing this for a number of years at least going back to like 1983 so it wasn't like a brand new song when they were posed to record it for less than zero um the andrew mccarthy film about drugs in la in the 19 in 1987 which is ultimately very 80s it's kind it still kind of lives a little too um a little too much of that era but the song kind of takes away from that it is unlike the original version which has that very kind of uh, New York folk sound that Simon Garfunkel is well known for. It adds that extra layer of rocking guitars. It's it's a lot more haunting when you add in the the keyboards and the drums. It really takes it to a place which is it's current. It doesn't even really tie in a lot to the original as much when you hear this version. They did take out a, a little bit of. Uh, the bridge, which talks about a vodka and lime, which, which I thought was interesting because it's like you're doing this for a show to a movie about drugs and alcohol. But in any event, it probably translated better to 1980s pop pop uh, radio. Um, I think they they really took it to some place that is was different for them because they were so influenced by the 60s. But sometimes you could hear it a little too much in their music of the 80s when you listen to Manic Monday and um, going down to Liverpool. You can hear the direct Beatles references and a lot of that 60s mod music. This one didn't do that. It was so different from anything that they ever done. And then lastly, where it goes is that it ended up like with the Jeff Buckley version of Hallelujah. It created a whole bunch of cover songs after that based on their version, not the Simon Garfunkel version, for example, of Gerard Way and the Umbrella Academy. That was one of their main songs in that show. If, you, if you've ever listened to their soundtrack, it is straight up cover of the Bangles version. I don't feel like it gets as much love. It was a number one hit back in 1988. Huh. So it wasn't that it was some sort of like, you know, B-side to anything. It was a hit and the, and the video was loud. It fit the mood of the movie and... I, I think it doesn't get much love, but it has a lot, a lot of great strengths and it still hands, it still stands out. I love listening to it even now. Listen, I love this one too. And like when the um, drum beat comes in and those guitars launch in places that I am taken there, it is so good. It just launches, um, but it's up against uh, Lady Marmalade. And that's the problem in that, um, to me, both of these versions are iconic, right? And I would argue that you are correct that the Hazy Shade of Winter by the Bengals is kind of looked at as one of their secondary songs. And frankly, it's kind of looked to me as a secondary Gar Simon Garfunkel too. It's not like one of their primary hits. It's a secondary song. Right. Um, for LaBelle, which it's LaBelle, not Patti LaBelle, right? Yes, she's the lead of LaBelle, but this was LaBelle. This is like LaBelle's signature song. And it this one is weird because it is a quartet put together specifically for a movie soundtrack. So let's just get that out of the way, right? This is not like it's an actual group. It's not like they're a unified presence. This was a stunt, essentially, for a movie. But what a goddamn stunt it was. How effective was this? Like, um three quarters of this panel are homosexual men and the other quarter of the panel was how old were you when moulin rouge came out andrea uh what year was it 
I'm going to say 99. Does that sound right? 2001. 2001. Okay. Do you really want to know the answer to that question? Um, I do. And then I'm going to scream. <laughs> 11. 11. <laughs> but like, can you remember when this came out and you were like, oh, oh what is happening? I remember singing the song on the playground with all of yes. my friends. Like it was highly inappropriate. It was wonderful. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but like this was a cultural moment when this song came out for Moulin Rouge. I'm going to argue that the original by LaBelle is really great. Don't get me wrong. The B3 organ and the baseline intro, it, it sucks you in. Those vocals are so sensual, but you cannot deny how dated that version of the song is. It sounds like it's 50 years old. It sounded like it was 50 years old when it was only 20 years old. Whereas I'm not going to tell you that the Moulin Rouge version is timeless. It's not. It's very early 2000s, late 90s, but it still sounds great even today. So um, uh, in case you don't know, and I don't know how you would not, the quartet in this is Christina Aguilera, Lil' Kim, Maya, and Pink, and they were all kind of on their individual ascents in in kind of pop stardom. And um, I, I just feel that the it provides a vocal relay race between the four of them that the original doesn't. That one's just basically Patti LaBelle doing Patti LaBelle when the other's backing her up, right? But this is Maya passing it to Pink. Pink passing it to Lil' Kim for a fire rap verse, which you did not have uh, early in kind of the 90s. And then her giving it to Christina to bring it all home, and it just builds and builds this ecstatic explosion at the end. And I feel like the original kind of stays very much in its lane. Andrea, you wanted to say something? I just wanted to add, too, that along with those four amazing women, Missy Elliott also yes. is featured on the track. We cannot and forget about Missy. Rottweiler, baby. Like, it, it is, it was like <laughs> a super group that exists. It was like the We Are the World yes. for, yeah. like, Auburn B singer, pop singers of the 1990s, or excuse me, early 2000s. So, like, on a purely song level, also... I'm just always going to defer to whichever one finds a classy way to talk about prostitutes and which teaches <laughs> me how to proposition someone in a foreign language because I'm a lifelong learner. What can I say? <laughs> um, so that's my argument. And uh, Andrea, where are you on this one? Uh, Lady Marmalade. And Derek. Uh, definitely Lady Marmalade. But it, it was like a moment in time, this song. It really kind of was like it, it was a whole ass moment. Um, so I think we are advancing Marmalade. Nothing against Hazy Shade of Winter whatsoever. Uh, next up, we have the panel evenly split between Valerie by Amy Winehouse and Mark Ronson, originally by the Zootons, and The Power of Love by Celine Dion, originally performed by Jennifer Rush. Andrea, why don't you try to get the others to come over to Valerie? Johnny, don't whisper in the morning. Tell us passionately why Power of Love should advance. And I'm going to start with Andrea. I don't know if anyone's listened to the original version of Valerie by the Zootons. Yes. I don't know if anyone knows who the Zootons are. I had no idea who the Zootons were before I heard this song. Um, But this is another one of those songs that I feel like people don't know is a cover. And it's just so synonymous with Amy Winehouse um, outside of like, you know, rehab and back to black. And I really think that this is one of those songs that kind of, pushed her over the edge of being <laughs> the, the, the drugged out English woman. Um, like, which we loved her say. for. Right. We loved her for that, but like, that's kind of what she was known for um, on the state side for a really long time. People kind of made fun of her. She was a little bit of a cultural joke. Um, and I think Valerie just really shows um her skills as a vocalist and as a singer like she's very soulful she's like a big sinatra fan um and i just think that this song 
did her so much justice. And I think Mark Ronson saw that in her as well um, and helped to bring that side of her out to the U.S. and made her a more respectable artist um, on this side of the pond, which she should have been before all of that. But, you know, sometimes it just takes a little bit longer with the Americans. But I just think that this song, um, you know, just just really showcases her talents. And I just I don't want it to go under the radar. Yeah, and what a loss. God, can you imagine what would have happened? Imagine like three more Amy Winehouse albums. Think of how amazing that would have been. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, with that being said, Johnny, talk to us about The Power of Love by the greatest singer in the world, Celine Dion. Oh, she is my lady. I'm not her man, though. That's, that's not that's not going to happen. Sorry. I'll, although I hope she, I'm hoping she's swinging the other way with some of her new moonboards. Twenty five years younger than her. I hope. God that's bless. Going. Get it, hey, Celine. She's put in girl. the time. She's put in she, the work. She's put in her time. She's she's in Vegas now. She can do whatever hell she wants. Um. So I mean, I think. All right. So with the power of love, I that was another one. I didn't really know Jennifer Rush's music. Um. At all. Um. I actually had to do a little research on her. If you see some pictures of her, it's a lot of a lot of uh sparkly uh cardigans which don't get me wrong i love a good sparkly cardigan but i didn't really know her work and it i will say the version that is that was recorded isn't particularly musically much different than the original celine's has a little bit of change but i think the difference is less than with the music than with the vocals i mean this this is where celine dion really became part of really became the powerhouse that she was and she had been doing songs in the adult contemporary delilah set for a number of years um <laughs> delilah set. you know what i'm talking about the delilah set <laughs> absolutely absolutely so, yeah it's you know very it's yeah it's got those moments you know where did my heart beat now and i think she was in beauty and the beast cover great song but again she was just who's like oh who's this pretty singer that's singing about you know dancing teacups and things like that anyway it didn't really do anything. It didn't propel her um, as much as it really should have. And even songs like If You Ask Me To, which is a Patti LaBelle cover, by the way. So mm-hmm. bringing her back in. Um, but what it really did was it was the power of her voice on the power of love. It was she was no longer just some sort of backup dancer or some sort of Quebecois novelty act. She showed that she could stand up there with Streisand and Midler. She has, she brought together a voice that was on anything else. It was a power ballad. It had to take, it had to take an eighties power ballad to bring her in, into the nineties. And I think that's what it was. There was not a lot of power ballads in 1994 that really were transcending or going beyond that into pop culture at that point. It was grunge music. It was hip hop. It wasn't having these kind of chantreuses singing and, and belting out and, it really brought her into the American and really international uh, uh, spotlight. And I'm, I'm glad for this song. I have to say, I don't think it's necessarily overall the best song she's done. I think it's the most impactful song that she's done for her career. If it wasn't for this, she could still be back up in Montreal, just singing mostly French songs and just occasionally throwing out a English song to, gives to those people down in Toronto. <laughs> I I cannot I can't believe that it's it it took to her version to actually get this song really any sort of recognition. It had been done by Air Supply, Laura Branigan, another one who does cover songs really I well. Love Branigan, God. Oh, uh, she's so good. I I I miss her. The- um 
We need and to do a Fallen Angels episode too. Like Laura Branigan, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I I remember eat, I was sitting in my car eating a bowl of honeydew when I found out she died, and I was like, no, God. Um, it's I still I still have I'm still triggered when I eat honeydew. Um, <laughs> but I will say, like the reason why I couldn't talk about Valerie, I okay, <laughs> if you some people who know me know I used to host karaoke, and Valerie is one of those songs that I get done every single week at karaoke sometimes done well but sometimes done by girls ashley with a gh done a little too pitchy (laughs) who think that they're about to get discovered on a wednesday night at a gay bar in boston trust me honey they're not so (laughs) they're not coming to do power of love so (laughs) with that being said that's where i land derek where are you on this one um i'm with celine on this one I I am a Celine stan, so I, I have to I have to stay with my girl. So I I'm the the decider here, which sucks. Um, but I will say this: I think I might have initially voted for Valerie. Um, but one of the things I mentioned early in the episode is that I discovered that there are certain artists that really are cover artists, right? Like they've made their careers on cover songs. Not only did Celine have this one, but also in the mix, there was another cover of another song by Jennifer Rush that Celine did, and I'm like. Who is Jennifer Rush? <laughs> Celine completely single white femaled her and took her career. Like, Aww. where is that Netflix show? Now, I, I say that. I say that. But you listen to those two versions back to back. Celine crushes her. Like, how difficult mm-hmm. must it be to be Jennifer Rush having your Chico's kind of day? And then um, you listen. <laughs> you, you recorded these songs. And then you hear Celine Dion's version of it. Like, I would just fold in on myself and like cease to exist because (laughs) Jennifer Rush is a talented singer. Don't get me wrong. But then like you listen to them back to back and you can do that on the playlist we created for you. Holy shit. Like Celine just takes it. And they're really, Johnny mentioned this in in numerous different ways that um, this was one of the songs that kind of propelled her. I think if you don't have this song, Beauty and the Beast, a couple others, you don't get her to Titanic and my heart will go on. Mm -hmm. At which point it's over. It's game over. Celine Dion Mm -hmm. is the upper echelon for a solid decade plus um because of all that and because i do think she is quintessentially a cover artist at the end Mm. of the day celine's not writing her own music she may be contributing but she really is a cover artist even in her vegas show most of the songs that she's doing are cover songs i think i'm gonna give it to celine here over valerie so i'm sorry andrea i hope you don't feel betrayed i do but that's okay Okay, I mean, that's, that's just part of what I do. Come um, over to the dark side, baby. <laughs> and I'm about to be betrayed because I am the lone standout who preferred Ain't No Mountain High Enough by Diana Ross, originally by Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, to Proud Mary by Tina Turner, originally by Creedence Clearwater Revival. I know. I know you must follow the sun wherever it leads, but I will not set mountain free without a fight. So Derek explained why we never, ever do anything nice and easy and rough for proud mary go that was a really good impression <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you <laughs> um okay well it, it goes without saying that this was a huge hit for credence clearwater revival and i will admit that their original recording is faultless that said tina motherfucking turner man she gives this track new life some much needed soul and a sweet mix of like the slow and fast tempos that nearly everybody on this podcast enjoys that will absolutely make you bop in your seat while driving. Is this the song that launched a thousand karaoke careers? I'd argue yes. 
And interestingly enough, Tina's version was recorded only a few years after Creedence charted with it. Um, but it is unquestionably one of Tina's most recognizable recordings. And I'd argue it wouldn't have the same cultural cachet that it does without her having recorded it. So do us all a favor and keep Proud Mary rolling on this river. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Like, listen, folks, this is a, d- a tough one. These are both amazing songs by amazing artists. Both of them could be top two, honestly, in this bracket, without question. They just happen to be up against one another. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about Mountain. And this is a case where the cover significantly changes things from the original song in a really interesting way. So in the original, Marvin and Tammy are, it's the way I interpret it is it's a couple that has broken up, but they're supportive of one another. No matter if you need me, I will be there for you, blah, blah, blah. That's sweet and all, but yawn. Diana's version is literally a woman saying to her lover, you need to get the fuck out of here and that's going to destroy me. But if that's what you need to succeed, I get it. Like the pathos of this song. Like it <laughs> yeah. is amazing. And speaking of pathos, I kind of did it in the intro to this, but that spoken word section of this version, which isn't in the original at all, but um, it's so good. And even like a lot of the song is actually spoken word, which was kind of amazing for a radio hit in the 1960s. It ver- vacillates between her just speaking very slowly and, and soulfully and then just breaking out into these like wails of like pain and whatever the op- a- agony, I guess, like emotional tearing. Right. Um, and like we all know that Diana Ross is a legend, but I don't think we specifically talk about about how majestic she is and the delivery is so good in this song. Like it's, it's unbelievable to me taking nothing away from Tina and proud Mary, which also in a very different way, but Diana just kills this. Mm -hmm. And so like, I, I just have to say that like, I understand why we would go with proud Mary here. I don't think it's wrong, but I just had to at least argue for ain't no mountain because anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I love a song that builds and this song, like once you're getting into that last verse where she's just soaring and yelling and screaming, but it's still kind of weirdly positive. Like she wants him to get out for him and she's going to be okay. But like, she's, she's feeling her, she's in her feelings. It's a whole mood. Um, God, I think it's amazing. So Andrea, where are you on this? I'm sticking with Proud Mary. I just love the original version of Ain't No Mountain High Enough so, so much um, that I can't, I can't do it. I just, I love Proud Mary and I love that original version of the song. So sticking with Tina. I don't blame you. And Johnny? This was a 5149 for me. It was so hard because Ain't No Mountain High Enough was actually the first one I picked when I submitted my my list i and i can see the flowing coat and she's bouncing <laughs> and like just you set me free but it was uh and i'll get into this in, in other later brackets with with tina but i just i i had to go with it with tina but it was it was it was a real sophie's choice on this one and i yeah i ended up having to send diana away I do not do not blame any of you at all. We will be advancing Tina Turner, but confidential to Diana Ross. Just remember what I told you the day I set you free. So, uh, <laughs> uh, all right. So we are again evenly split between Jimi Hendrix's All Along the Watchtower, originally by Bob Dylan, and I'm Every Woman by Whitney Houston, originally by Chaka Khan. Joni explained why it's all in Whitney and why we should advance woman. I will argue that there must be some way out of here for Watchtower, but I'm going to have Johnny go first. 
Okay. Um, so I think we could have said this, like this whole bracket could have been nothing but Whitney Houston songs, to be honest. And yeah. even this song of well, many from the bodyguard soundtrack are just filled with great covers anyway, including track nine from a certain drag race. <laughs> so if you're not stop bringing it up. Love you, Michelle. Anyway, um, so uh, let's talk about why I decided with every, every woman. So um, let's just start from the beginning. So it had it brought that completely brand new intro, which was a, you know, a like a slowed down um, kind of more intimate version of the first verse. And then she brings her soaring vocals, but they're a little bit intimate. So it's not like pounding you right away with her um, amazing voice and she's restraining and then it all kind of builds up into that beginning first first you know she takes there's a bit of that dance pop new jack swing vibe to it that takes the shaka khan classic into a new plane like one thing that whitney's whitney's version does is like turn up the dance beat taking it out of studio 54 where shaka's original version kind of brings you to and that was again a great version but like you said with uh Lady Marmalade, it was dated. It sounded dated. And that was the difference was 1978 to 1992. So we're talking about 14 years. That's it. But it sounded like it was a completely gener- different generation. It takes it takes out the disco trappings, but um, it doesn't lose any of that original groove. And you listen to I Am Every Woman now, it still has that same punch. It gets the floor packed. It gets moms at a wedding and and crazy homosexuals all pumped up to dance to it. Um, I think it it there's and also it draws a direct line from Shaka to TLC, who is in the video, who is the new artist of the day, with Whitney bridging them together. So it really is a collaborative effort. Um, it still comes. It's it still sounds great. It sets a lot of other uh, covers from there. Um, by other great artists. One of them is uh, named Kaya Crystal. If you don't know Kaya Crystal, you should. She's the only other person besides Whitney who can actually do the song any sort of justice. So fact, fact, that is a fact. I, I have worked with her for years and I got paid to hang out with her. One day <laughs> you will be paid. You will pay, be paying to see her. Um, <laughs> and then let's talk about the end of it. The self-referential um, shaka, shaka. You can't shaka. get more meta than that. You are having a cover, mentioning the cover within the cover, and then having her mountain of hair and her that huge bright smile of Shaka Khan in the video just going, me, oh, who, me? Who, me? So I would go with, I'm going with I'm Every Woman every single time. There's also another really amazing little button in that video. I don't know if you're aware of, but among the people that are the backup singers, especially at the end, was Whitney's daughter, Bobby Christina. And if you listen to the ending of the song, she says, my girl, because at that point, Bobby Christina is the lead voice on the backing vocal. And she was in the video. And it makes me even sadder because, of course, we know that tragedy, right? Like, Oh yeah, it's it's both an incredibly joyful song and also like really bittersweet to listen to it now because of just the unbelievable tragedy that has followed that family. So, with that being said, I'm going to talk about all along the Watchtower. So, I'm just going to get this right out of the way. I'm not a Bob Dylan fan as a singer. I think he's an extremely talented songwriter and lyricist. There's no question about that. Um, but his original version of this song. I find it challenging to even make through, like, honestly, his, his voice is just, there's something about it that curdles my ear. Um, also, frankly, true for uh, another song on this list, but we'll get to that later. So um, 
when I, I it's great lyrics as, as I was saying it's kind of the Aretha Franklin reading Taylor Swift approach here great lyrics beautiful lyrics uh that's how I feel about Bob Dylan's original but um the Hendrix version is explosive. You know, if Dylan's constantly at a three, Hendrix starts at a six, and by the end, he's past 11. It's, it's There's something about that that's just deeply primal. You have those wailing drums that are just kind of building and building, like warriors in Moria or something. And then you've got that just signature Hendrix guitar work that's just fire and it drives and drives this song to this massive explosive finish. I wanted to make sure we had some rock representation on here because there have been a lot of really incredible rock covers. This to me is one of my all-time favorites. This is neither here nor there, but I'll bring it up. If you watched the 2000s era reboot of Battlestar Galactica, this song was used to spectacular effect in the show where it was calling out to a group of characters who were linked in a way that they didn't realize they were linked. And uh, there is something about it that almost veers into like the archetypal. And I just think it's so successful. And that's the, the Hendrix version. It is not true of the original by Dylan. It's just not. And I think there's something really to be said for the alchemy that goes into taking the rough kind of ingredients of an original and just turning it into something even um, more so broad and so wide ranging, you can hook in all these different areas. I think that's incredible. So with that being said, Derek, where are you on this? Um, I originally had I'm Everyone by Whitney Houston, but um, as some of you will recall, I am a disco purist. Mm. So I actually really like Shaka Khan's version better. Um, And I was listening to uh, All Along the Watchtower a little while ago, and it is giving me like, Woodstock perfection somehow, and I yeah, I'm I'm gonna switch my vote to, to wow. Jimi Hendrix here. Yeah. Uh oh, Johnny, it's an upset. Uh, what about you, Andrea? I'll get you at. <laughs> um, I don't love either of these songs, and let me tell really? you why. Let yeah. me tell you why. Um, <laughs> all along the Watchtower, regardless of what version I'm listening to, I every time I hear, I am transported back to college in a hot boxed basement with <laughs> growy white dudes wanting to listen to this song while super stoned out of their minds, just talking about how amazing Bob Dylan is, how amazing the guitar is for Jimi Hendrix and blah, blah, blah. I would rather eat glass at this point. Um, and then I'm every woman. I just think of women's razor blades commercials every time. Like it's just <laughs> one of those songs that pops up in like every feminine product commercial. Oh, isn't so, that Venus though? Isn't that Venus? That true. That's, that. It is Venus as well. But whenever you think of smooth hairless legs, you are every woman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think I originally had all along the watchtower but i'm gonna flip to <gasps> i'm every woman because i want to see i want to see whitney v whitney later on here okay so here's how this works in a mini-sode when we don't have seeds the tiebreaker is a round robin so i would get the first one and then it would pass to andrea then to derek then to johnny um, so I have the first tiebreaker and I actually agree with Andrea because I also want Whitney v. Whitney. I need this in my life. So I'm going to switch my vote, even though he argued for all along the watchtower to Whitney's uh, I, I'm Every Woman. And also because Shaka Khan, I'm just going to do it. All right. So 
finally in round one, one last even split, this time between another Whitney classic, I Will Always Love You, originally by Dolly Parton, and Kim Wilde's You Keep Me Hanging On, originally by The Supremes. Andrea, be my bodyguard and defend Whitney at any costner. Derek, set Kim free by supporting Hanging On. And I'm going to have Andrea go first. I, I won't spend too much time on this one just because I think we're going to have a lot of conversations on it down the road. Um, but I'm thinking back to the best pizza topping miniso that we did. <laughs> and yeah. we were talking about pepperoni and we were like, well, it's pepperoni. Like, how do you not pick pepperoni? It's Whitney Houston. I will always love you. Like, how do you not pick that song over everything else? Um, it's just so uh, ubiquitous and it's wonderful and it's big and it's Whitney. And I, yeah, I don't know what else I can say about it right now. I'll, I have more for later on, but I don't want to waste it just yet. That's right. You don't want to blow your load in round one. I, I don't really understand no. that. Uh, Derek, talk about Kim Wilde and you keep me hanging on. Well, you know what? Now you've already set me up with this whole, I want hot Whitney on Whitney action. So like whatever I say mm-hmm. right now is completely superfluous. However, I'll say it anyway. Um, this song is a number one hit on Billboard's Top 100 twice, in 1966 with the original recording by the Supremes, and then once again in 1987 by Kim Wilde, which basically transformed a Motown classic into an 80s high-energy smash hit. Um, the opening synths of this song are instantly recognizable. It is 80s perfection, and it does something I love, which you kind of alluded to before, which is introduce a new generation to an older song by making it their own. Um, Is it the juggernaut that is? I will always love you. No, no, it's not. But I'm also of the opinion that Whitney has so many great covers that became hits for her. Uh, I'm throwing my weight behind Kim Wilde here. Um, And I honestly, I dare you to not immediately bop your head when this comes on the radio while you're driving a car. No, I mean, I can't accept that challenge because it's amazing. And it has not yet been a lip sync on Drag Race, right? Uh, it was it was the actually infamous season two where Sister Sister ended up lip syncing because Jenny Lemon yes. walked right out of UK. That's right. UK and it was, season two. It was okay, but like this song should be an epic lip sync without mm-hmm. question. Oh, it yeah. needs to be redone because it is fierce, honey. Like it is spectacular. Um, with that being said, Johnny, where are you on this? Oh my God! So speaking of that, that. When in my early years, my drag persona, Miss DD7 Bam Poppers, she <laughs> wanted this was one of the original songs that I wanted to do in drag. And like the, and because you know what it is, it takes that, that apocalyptic kind of minor key sound, it takes it away from the, from the 60s kind of bopping around with mm-hmm. with Diana Ross in Motown. It's it's haunting. It's scary. It's 1984 in 1987 and it was a completely different version than anything that ever came from that mm-hmm. after that. I actually kept I took off Venus to put this on cuz I go this is a better this is a better bop mm. um, than anything else. It's more memorable and it's a song that, you know, even though it wasn't hers originally, it's still it's a little less the test of time there's a desperation to her version that's not mm-hmm. there in the supremes version yeah. one thing i did and i'm sorry this is an aside i know we're already running long but we're also doing best 80s soundtrack for season five uh it may, may already be out by the time you're listening to this one i don't know the order yet but one thing i realized while listening to all the 80s soundtracks is the amount of intense 60s and 50s nostalgia that was everywhere in 80s mm-hmm. music like 
everywhere. And I think you see it with like the Tiffany's, the Kim Wilds, the Whitney's all covering these songs from the sixties, especially the Motown stuff. Um, but I still do think uh, for me, I throw it to Whitney. Um, so that would leave us two, two with Andrea as a tie vote or tiebreaker. Andrea, which one are you going with? Whitney V Whitney. I'm staying with Whitney. Whitney v. Whitney. All right, so that is it for round one. We are going to take a quick break and creep through other podcast back catalogs so that we can steal their ideas, and we'll be right back. (laughs) The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome back to round two of our best cover song debate. While we were gone, Celine Dion re-recorded the entire first round. And honestly, it's so much better than what we initially put out. (laughs) So uh, before we get to round two, let's discuss how listeners can go undercover and reach out to all of us on social media. Andrea, how can people reach you? They can stalk me, twitter.com, at Dre Souffle. Thank you. And Derek? Uh, Twitter and Instagram at D-R-K-M-K-T. Okay. And how about Johnny? I'm on everything. Johnny Minogue, one word, no H. Great. And as for me, you should definitely follow at Great Pop Culture Debate on Instagram and at Culture underscore Debate on Twitter. But feel free to follow at Eric Resniak on Instagram and Twitter. That's E-R-I-C-R-E-Z as in zebra, S as in snake, N as in Nancy, Y-A-K. So moving on to the debates. First up, we have two songs that unanimously advanced in round one, Aretha Franklin's Respect, originally by Otis Redding, and Cyndi Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun, originally by Robert Hazard. Johnny, take care tcb of respect derek live your life right by supporting girls just want to have fun i'm gonna have johnny go first so the korean store will just made the most absolute most iconic you can drink cover song yes yeah, so so and then this is another song growing up like in the 80s i heard this even though because it was an in a soul 60s song with parents who loved r&b and soul of the 60s it was an 80s song for me i heard it all my life but let's break it down to why it's really so monumental like otis redding um, respect is great it is so otis redding it's got that same kind of you know raw vibe that um is so quintessential of everything he does but aretha and her team decided to do an infectious um reinterpretation of that song that it really made it to something that is way 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 more than anything that otis could have ever thought that he would have written or recorded um it and it really was collaborative it was her it was her sisters and it was some of the other engineers and let me just say this song was recorded in one day it was done one day february 14th 1967 that's it so she um really brought in that earnest and powerful demanding of the respect that she deserves and it before it in the Otis Redding version which was a little bit more of a domestic thing it was more with Aretha it was just respect all around when she came home she doesn't care who it is husband kid 
anyone else in that house. You are going to respect her. Um, her sisters um, were her backup singers, and she did a lot of her work, um, backup work back in the day. Um, so she did. They did something as a family act, which didn't get billed as a family act. It was just Aretha, but because she had the, um, she had just that powerful overall voice that the Franklin sisters, even though they're, they may not be known today, you still know those backup singers, you know, those voices. And let's talk about why it's even better. Two things that she added in R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, take care, TCB. That was all of her sister, Carolyn's idea. And TCB, taking care of business, that was a slang in the African-American community back in the day about pleasing one's partner. If you didn't know that, that's what TCB is. I so, did not know that. And for years, I had no idea what that line meant. Like, literally take care. years. TCB, it's like, it was a little dirty, a little dirty, but it was, but it, it then was co-opted by Elvis, the co-opter of all co-opters, uh, later on in the 70s, that that was something he would do in the TCB. And then, suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me. They had... The Franklin sisters and the backup, that was something that they added in that was not in the original. That line became ubiquitous in pop culture. Think of laughing. Richard Nixon said, sock it to me. Sock it to me. Sock it to me. <laughs> that, was, that was something, it's like someone as square, the squarest of square people, Richard Nixon in 1968 said, sock it to me because of this song. It became a civil rights anthem it became a feminist anthem it was in countless movies i remember watching it as a little kid um and mystic pizza julie roberts annabelle gish lily lily taylor were singing it in the jalopy truck of her boyfriend on the way to a girl's night out it was in a million million different things you to this day it doesn't matter if you're eight years old or 108 you can hear it you can dance everyone it, it crosses generations it crosses um races sexualities lifestyles it is it is that ubiquitous and it two and a half minutes of just absolute pure musical amazement the i'll make a confession so i said i didn't know what that tcb meant for years i thought the line she was saying was take out tcp and she was trying to spell rest like basically like give me a break which does not work because those letters do not spell rest if you take out tc and p but in my brain that's what i thought that line was (laughs) swear to god that's 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 true uh not great but there you go thank you johnny for that passionate (laughs) argument derek talk about girls just want to have fun so i can't even believe this is a cover and um i'm gonna go out on a limb and say a lot of you didn't know it was a cover either um I realize that literally dozens of other artists have covered it, but come on, there's really no version but Cindy's version. And I'd argue that had she not recorded it, we wouldn't even know this song at all. Her energy sure. and her and her signature voice gives gives such life to this song. And you know, in the early days of MTV, her 1983 music video also became an instant classic for the art form. It is also a feminist anthem. That said. I am actually going to throw my vote over to Respect because I'd argue that Aretha's version of this song is an even bigger classic and a more poignant anthem of empowerment. So there we go. Let's advance it. All right, Andrea, what about you? Where are you coming on this one? Man, I was really 100% behind Respect. Um, But just thinking about what Derek was saying about girls just want to have fun. uh, I knew it was a cover, but I just never knew the original version. 
I I'm gonna stay with Aretha. I just I feel that that's right. Um, is to stay with her, and I love knowing that they she recorded the song on February 14th, and I want to know what happened on February 13th to <laughs> prompt this sort of passionate response. Um, so yeah, I'll stick with Aretha. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about that, and I actually think the fact that we do not know the original, like nobody realized that Girls Just Want to Have Fun was a cover, makes it actually less powerful as a cover mm. because it's not like she we're not comparing it to the original. Like the original is such a non-entity that the song in and of itself, yes, it, it existed previously, but it is so powerful on its own that yeah. it, it, it seems like an original, right? Yeah. Whereas the Otis writing version of Respect was legit a hit. And Aretha was just like, that's pretty cool, but we can do better. <laughs> and she did. Mm-hmm. Um, so for that reason, I'm also voting. I think that's unanimous for Aretha. Mm-hmm. Um, moving her on to round three. Next up, it's Hallelujah by Jeff Buckley versus Lady Marmalade by the uh, Moulin Rouge Tarts, I guess is how I will describe this. And uh, Johnny, do you want to go first talking about Moulin Rouge? Yeah, I'll, I definitely will talk about it because I, you know, I was arguing against it in the last round. I will absolutely ar- argue for it in this round. Um I think every, what everyone had said about that, about creating this super group. And I will say there was kind of, it was different levels of ascension with this mm-hmm. song, with these very people. Much. There was a very much, I mean, it's, I think like, you know, Pink at the time was probably the least known because she was still pretty new. She'd only been out for about a year. Mm-hmm. Maya had been out for a few years, although it's, it's hard. It's harder to kind of, Kind of justify at least nowadays it's like oh who is she now it's trying to remember like who is maya i don't know was she in sister sister i don't remember and i was like oh no that's not her isn't um, it crazy because she was everywhere around that like she's she in, she's in chicago like she had a mm-hmm. great career but she everywhere. just keeps disappearing and like, it went her, her her career was like whoa that was yeah. exactly what happened with her but in I mean, one okay I, this is one thing that it was it still cracks me up the the hardcoreness of Lil Kim, because Lil Kim is, especially if you were a younger gay man, there's how many licks at the mm. time in 2000, you just thought it was like, oh, this is so hot. This is so sexy. Blah, blah. And, it's, and it was, it's kind of campy too. Sure. But she was dressed up like a prostitute George Washington in the video. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we discussed that. Redundant. Redundant. Okay. <laughs> so, and it was, and to this day, you can, you get you get a group of people, you have four or five, whatever, who will get together and pick everybody's part. I did this with, I sang this with actually um, Violencia Exclamation Point from Dragula Season 3, who I'm a friend of, um, we, and uh, uh, Neon Calypso, and uh, Kaya Cristal, and uh, Stevie Cyclone, who was um, who's the DJ over Club Cafe. And we did this for um, when we were all together one day, and I did the Missy Elliott part. So you can get a whole crap load of people to sing this in karaoke. And um, I still think it's a, I still think it's a monumental song because it, it took it to a place which we mentioned in the last uh, bracket is that, you know, it really, it was fresh and it's 20 years. It is about the same length of time between now and the original, ver- what the original version was um, to where this uh, cover was. So it's, it's been 20 years and it was, tw- it was actually less than 20 years. This still sounds fresh. That you can still hear this and it's like, yes, it's it's early 2000s, but it still sounds fresh and it still gets people going. And I think that there is a little bit of a timelessness that this will have, even though there's some trappings of 2001 in this that you can never get away from. But 
you know, it's like, God damn it, man. It still is a fresh, fun track that people still get jazzed up about. So it's funny because I was thinking the same thing. Like we are now far enough away from this cover than it was from its original that I Mm -hmm. like, where's the 2020s reboot of, of Lady Marmalade in which four pop stars would be on it. And I can't imagine any of the current pop stars attempting this song. Am I wrong? You could get Ariana Grande and maybe Doja Cat. Um, okay. Yeah, so That's got- Ariana was the first one to pop in my head, too. Yeah. Ari- uh, yeah. But where are the other two? Um, <laughs> I mean, Megan Thee Stallion could absolutely do an amazing job on the Missy or the Lil' Kim version. She could Billie actually Eilish? probably like, I can't see Billy. I can't see um, uh, What's-Her-Face, Sour, Olivia Rodrigo. Like, I can't see them yeah. doing this. It's, it's so... Um, aggressively sexual and i feel like the modern pop stars are, are like that's not really my jam like I'm, I'm not gonna put myself out there that way which i think is a great thing actually Absolutely. lady gaga might do it but i feel like oh, gaga's yeah. too old gaga would be like the auntie she nothing would be- wrong with that no, I mean I'm older than Gaga, so I'm like Milton Berle over here. <laughs> she, right? would the, she would be the matron, Ma, 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 Mama Morton. Like that's yeah. what she's going to be. For my ragu. Um, yes. but, yeah. So with all that being said, I'm here to actually talk about Hallelujah. Um, and uh, so I'm going to say this, and I'm going to get shit because Leonard Cohen is kind of put upon this pedestal as this amazing artist, and um, if you don't appreciate Leonard Cohen, you're just not interesting enough to really get his artistry and i think much like dylan he's a terrific songwriter terrific lyricist in those ways he's a genius but jesus christ listening i mean talk about hallelujah talk about religious like listening to his version of this song my god uh, just it's it's grim and off key and i know that's deliberate but it's like Like, I, I don't need the shtick, you know? And Jeff Buckley comes in and he takes everything that's amazing about the, the core of the song and he turns it into something really not spiritual in like the the actual like Jesus way, but it's spiritual in the kind of, it, it's transformative, right? Um, the guitars in the beginning feel angelic. Uh, his delivery has a nuance to it that Cohen's just like a brick, just uh, uh, uh. Uh, and um, I think there's a lot of real artistry on display in this cover that lacks in the original. If I'm just being completely honest, come for me, Leonard Cohen fans, I'm fine. Um, and I, I agree that what we had said earlier, that most of the covers that have come so at, right afterwards, Rufus Wainwright, the Pentatonix version, take the Jeff Buckley version as their inspiration. And there are so many covers of this song and it is everywhere around christmas time we did our holiday song one and people were like oh i love that christmas song hallelujah by pentatonix i'm like oh, no. <laughs> no 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 it's their original song like that's their song i was like no number oh, one no but also it's not a christmas song <laughs> like, right it, but it they really, really isn't they really think it is like literally and it, it hits people right so I think it. this is a song that has an incredibly long lifespan. It, it it touches people, the covers, the echoes thereafter, keep hitting new generations. And it, it like slaps them with that, like, oh, this is a capital I important song about capital F feelings, right? Um, and for that reason, I think it should advance over Lady Marmalade. Even though I said I'm always going to vote for a song about prostitutes, and it's true, but I'm, I'm going to put it to a vote. Um, Derek, where are you on this? Uh I, I was already going to vote for Lady Marmalade, and then 
you mentioned um, prostitute George Washington. Where's that version of Alexander Hamilton? Where's Lil Kim's version of how <laughs> Hamilton? Oh is what I want to know. That's Hamilton? what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Hamilton uh, is colorblind casting. Let's get Lil Kim in that role. She's I mean, in her sixth head. Baby needs a new pair of shoes. Let's pick out. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm sticking with Lady Marmalade. Andrea. I'm sticking with Hallelujah. Um, I love Lady Marmalade, but like Johnny said earlier, it is campy. And I think it's probably the campiest song on this bracket. It's, it is fun. It's a fun song. Um, But I also think of like uh, karaoke nights being infiltrated by bachelorette parties and (laughs) four to five drunk women getting up there and singing the song. And that's just too much for me. So I'm, I'm sticking with Hallelujah. So I believe we are currently tied because I'm going to stick with Hallelujah because I do think in, in terms of the overall bracket and the overall importance of the song, like we have other songs that are giving the same energy that Lady Marmalade does here. Um, I believe the next tiebreaker would be Derek. So Derek, are you sticking with Lady Marmalade? Did Andrea already have her tiebreaker? Yes, she okay. tiebreaked Whitney. Then yes, I am sticking with Lady Marmalade. All right, so we will advance uh, Lady Marmalade to round three. Next up, it's Proud Mary versus The Power of Love by Celine Dion. And I'm going to have Andrea talk about Proud Mary first. Um, I just love this cover so, so much. And I do not love CCR so, so much. They're one of those bands that like every time I hear that guitar sound and the dude's voice. I'm like, this is about to be a CCR song. And they all kind of sound the same to me. Mm, they um, do. <laughs> and, you know, uh, of course, thank you to black women for making uh, white man's music a hundred times better every single Absolutely time. Absolutely. So, <laughs> um, I mean, she just does such an amazing job with this song. And we've, like we've talked about before, everyone knows Tina Turner's version. Um, and then we get, you know, the iconic dance moves with this song. And um, I just, I, I don't see how you can't not pick this song in this matchup personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm assigned to be arguing for The Power of Love by Celine Dion here, and I love Celine, um, but I don't see this as really a, a matchup. Is anyone here voting for Celine versus Tina? Johnny? Oh, no. No, no. No, mais non, mais non. <laughs> Absolutely uh, not. Derek? Stares out window, rolls up window. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it, no, it, it is definitely Tina. All right, then we will be advi- uh, advancing the Ike and Tina Tuna platter uh, to <laughs> the next round. And now it is the Whitney versus Whitney, Whitney off. Uh, we have I'm Every Woman versus I Will Always Love You. So we're not talking about artists, obviously. We're strictly talking about songs. And so I'm going to go around the horn first and get general consensus. Derek, which one are you leaning toward here? I'm Every Woman. It just, it's more, it's the bombast of the song that kind of gets me. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go to Andrea next. Um, I Will Always Love You. I believe it is one of the best selling songs of all time. If not, it is actually pretty high up there. Yeah. Uh, Johnny. <sighs> yeah. I would, I think overall, I think the, I think the impact, I think we have to look, look at two things. Which one would I want to listen to? I'm every woman, which has a better impact. I will always love you. So I think I'm going to, I'm going to go with, I will always love you. And I think I, it's because of just the long standing impact that this song had on 
her career as well as just music at like after that so um i think i will say it's like you know dolly parton did have kind of a, a new renaissance with this song after after whitney's version of it so you have to give a little bit of deference to that it's not only it actually put a, a spotlight onto the original version mm-hmm. that a lot of people didn't know and it's so different and it's, yeah. i think overall like it's i think i'm going to go with i will always love you just for the fact of its overall sheer pop impact yeah I, i'm with you on that too and i don't want to go too much into it derek are you going to be real salty if oh no 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 okay. no because i hope that life treats you kind uh, but with that being said, we are going to go to that final four, which at this point I've completely lost track of. I believe we have Respect by Aretha Franklin versus Lady Marmalade by yep. the Moulin Rouge Tarts. Yep. And we have Proud Mary by Tina Turner versus I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. Is that a final four that is primarily women of color? Yes. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I believe so. I think it, pink, pink is the only one. Pink is the only one. Well, I love it. I love this for us. I love this journey. All right. So we're going to start off with Respect by Aretha Franklin versus Lady Marmalade by, uh, I was going to say by Johnny Minogue, by the- uh, <laughs> Hey, Wednesday nights, it has been by me. Absolutely. So I'm going to go around the horn first. Andrea, where are you going? Um, I'm going to go with Respect, Aretha Franklin. Derek. Aretha, 100%. Johnny. Suck it to me suck it to me it is respect so that is a unanimous respect in the final two and next it is tina turner's proud mary versus i will always love you by whitney houston i'm gonna start with derek i am sticking with tina here interesting okay andrea i think in my bracket i have tina taking it all but i'm gonna switch and go with i will always love you johnny I'm going I am going with Tina Turner. I'm going with um this. I she is my favorite artist to have seen live. I saw her twice in 97 and 2000. If you have never seen her do this live, it is you can't do it anymore. She's cuz she's retired. It is the song. It is the performance. I, I can't not go with it's this perfection. Version. It's perfection. Yeah. It's perfection. Yes. Going this. Going it- going with this. It is, however, so I'm going to go with I Will Always Love You, and I'm going to tell you why. So we kind of touched upon this before, the immense pop culture power of this song. It was a juggernaut. If you were not alive slash like aware culturally in the 90s, I don't think you can fully understand. Does anyone happen to have stats on how long this song sat on top of the, t- the Billboard charts? I don't oh, know. Oh, I think it was most of 1993. <laughs> it was, yeah. It, it was... It's, but Bill, I think Bodyguard soundtrack was on till sometime in 1994 um, on the Billboard 200. I think this song at least was, I think it was 11, 12 weeks, number one. It was on the chart for most of 1993. I'm not quite sure when it actually dropped off, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was even when some of the other songs, like I'm Every Woman and um, Queen of the Night were coming out, it was still on there. So it was, it really kind of even, even the other works of her own in this entire, and on that soundtrack still had it. So it was amazing that it still was so resonant um, in that period of time. And it was kind of a mistake that it even happened, right? Because uh, I don't know if anybody watched the Clive Davis documentary that came out like a year or two ago, but he talks a little bit about this movie. And he said that he initially saw a rough draft of the movie 
on over like Christmas break and it had almost no singing in it whatsoever. And he's like, how do you have Whitney Houston in a movie and you have no songs? And he's like, here, here are some songs that we think would be good. And he sent them over to, to uh, Kevin Costner. And one of them was, I will always love you by Dolly Parton. Mm -hmm. They hadn't even recorded the new version of it yet, but he was like, we think this would be good for Whitney. And so like Clive made them inject these songs into the movie without those, that movie would have been a nothing burger, right? It would have been complete flop. And yeah. And it it was initially could have been a Madonna project. Right. And we would have completely forgotten about it. But so like when you, I'm not going to say that being a hugely successful song makes it the winner, but one of the things I think is important to consider, because this is a cover song debate, right? Not like songs we like the most or songs that whose performances we like the most. Even Dolly Parton has said now, like, I will always love you. I may have written it, but it's Whitney's song. She has taken that song and it's hers now. And I love what she's done with it. And I honor her. And she's like, every time, you know, I hear the song, every time I hear Whitney's version of the song, it's her. It's not me anymore. That's pretty amazing. When it's Dolly Parton saying, oh, this thing that I created, you've turned it into something even better than I could have done. Dolly Parton saying that, like, come on and i think for me if we're talking about a vocal performance it's true i mean you're, you've got to give the like overall like dance and energy performance to um proud mary there's no question but for a vocal performance this is haunting i mean uh, we're talking 30 years after this song is that correct we're now 30 years Jesus yeah Christ. it's 30 that's years dis- yeah. that's disturbing god damn it <laughs> um but like i don't know if there is another ballad especially a ballad about longing that is as successful from a female artist. I can think of a couple from, from male artists is successful as this one is. So in my opinion, I do think it is the better cover song and that's why I'm putting it forward. Tina, no disrespect to Tina Turner. There's not really a wrong decision here, but um, Johnny and Derek, are you staying with Tina? Absolutely. Derek. Yes. Okay. With that being said, then that means we have a tie. And Johnny, you're the tiebreaker now. Oh, big wheels keep on turning. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay. So we have a final two of Respect by Aretha Franklin, originally by Otis Redding, versus Proud Mary by Tina Turner, originally by Credence Clearwater Revival. I think it's a great top two. I I love this. Uh, And I'm going to start Johnny. Okay. You just just got us to this point. Which one are you going with? um i'm going with aretha i think this these are the top two like for me this is the two that i was like at the end i'm going with um this the only thing that took me over the top with this is two things one um just that fact this this song kind of just transcends so many things and i mentioned this in my initial um argument for it um the other thing is that there isn't the thankfully tina has re-recorded proud mary where it's not associated with ike but it was an ike and tina turner review song initially so Mm -hmm. it's like if you're taking that then we have to really realize it's like there was part of he was there i didn't want to mention it and again like i said best concerts i've ever seen were tina turner and this song was was the number one thing to, to see but aretha franklin man it's just she has she has a way of taking a song and making it so much of her own that that she is now like she was able to sing at the white house like she has and she was able to sing an inauguration and she was she's the she was the queen of soul for a reason um i in it's two and it's two minutes and 40 seconds of absolute 
pure joy and um, and power. And I think the one thing that she does is that it, the collaborative nature of the song that she wrote with her family stands the test of time. It didn't have to be re-recorded. Um, not that her the Tina's versions weren't great. It's just that you know. The original version has just it is a Franklin Sisters project that they got they got there that is something that no matter where you go across the world, they will know that song. So it's gonna be Aretha. All right, Andrea. I am sticking with Proud Mary, um, because this is a a rock song by CCR and Tina Turner took it back and made it truly a rock and roll song, which as we all know, black people invented rock and roll. And Mm -hmm. I think she is just reclaiming this song as how it should be performed, quite frankly. I mean, obviously like props to CCR for writing this song, but mm, eh, Tina uh, did that and she took it one step further on how rock and roll should feel. Um, So for that, I have to stick with Proud Mary. Derek. I am so conflicted right now <laughs> um, because both of these are fantastic songs. And in other music podcasts, I, I, I will completely own up to the fact that I am guilty of putting too much emphasis on the artist rather than the song when it's the song that we're supposed to be talking about. Mm. I, I, I have this difficulty in, in disassociating the artist from the song, because quite frankly, like, especially when you're talking about like these two songs, the artists are so synonymous with these songs. Um, I, I, I will argue that respect by Aretha Franklin launched a lot of other people's musical careers in that in pro- it inspired them. And especially at the time when it, when, when it was recorded um, that said, I have proud Mary as my ultimate choice to win this whole thing. And I, I think I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with Proud Mary. Interesting. I, I'm 100% on respect here. I think, again, there's no bad winner here, right? They're both great. Uh, and I'm not going to give it a tie. I will not do that. That's that's the cheap way out. And neither Aretha nor Tina would want that. They would look at me and they would shake their heads and be like, girl. <laughs> um, but I feel like respect, what I love about respect, and we haven't really talked a little bit about this, is it was a song originally written by a man. And he was basically kind of like, almost like sighing in exasperation, like, oh my God, can you just be nice to me when I get home from work? Because like, I'm tired and I've worked really hard. And then Aretha takes it from home. She's like, fuck that shit. I'm not asking you to be nice. I am telling you to be nice. You will pay me respect. And like coming from a black woman in the 1960s who was treated very, very badly for years and would be treated very, very badly for years to come. Like taking a a man's song and flipping it and being like, no, this is my song. It's like that Captain Phillips meme. Like I'm the captain now. Look at me, look at me. Like Aretha (laughs) is the captain now. Right. And I don't think that same energy is in proud Mary. Tina transforms the song from a like dopey white dude in mohair vest, like, like (laughs) slow boat to China, like keep on turning. Like she takes it. And John Fogarty was from California. He wasn't even from the South. Right. Like it was like, it is what, it's fine right don't get me wrong it's a, it's a fun song it's like i'll sit there and bop along in my car in my very white way but like tina's is like uh-uh she she pumped a lot of tain into that song if i may and so um <laughs> but but respect 
is an anthem, like legitimately an anthem. Could you argue that Proud Mary is? I guess. But like respect, like literally rallies people to this day in a way that Proud Mary doesn't quite do. Does that mean it's a better cover song? I don't know. But I do think it, like, I still come back to this, like, she took a man's song that was kind of just like, slowly bitching about how like his woman at home isn't giving him the kind of respect that she wants and she turned it into like i am a woman and a person of color and fuck you you will respect me that's powerful and it continues to echo 60 plus years later that's my argument Mm -hmm. so eric can i just interject for just a second because i want to go back to something like an argument that we had earlier which was realizing that something was a cover song I had no idea that Respect was a cover song. And I think a lot of people out there are probably in the same boat because, mm-hmm. frankly, Aretha's version is the definitive version. Mm-hmm. I, but I do think a lot of people know that CCR did Proud Mary sure. and that Tina Turner basically like made it her own and reinvented it and like continues to like perform the fucking hell out of it. Um, I I hear what you're saying. I think that as as the title of this podcast is, um, you know, best cover song, mm-hmm. knowing that Proud Mary is definitively a cover, that's that's why I'm sticking with Proud Mary. Okay. And uh, Andrew, you're sticking with Proud Mary. Yep, I am. And so I will not let this end in a tie <laughs> and I will not break the tie. So with that being said, Johnny, I hope you will respect me if I switch my vote to Proud Mary, understanding that uh, we're at an impasse in negotiations. I'm okay with it. It's um, you know, it wouldn't have been my choice, but I'm totally fine with it. It was I'm happy with where we go. I think we had a spirited conversation about why. We did. And you know, here at the Great Pop Culture Debate, we never ever do anything nice and easy. So <laughs> with that said, uh that is it. Our pick for the best cover song of all time is Proud Mary by Tina Turner. Do you agree with our choice? Do you think more talented podcasters need to completely redo this episode? Let us know your pick by leaving a comment on this episode at greatpopculturedebate.com or yell at us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube. While you're there, make sure that you like and subscribe for more great pop culture debate content. And if you really enjoyed what you heard, please consider supporting us on Patreon, which can get you access to more exclusive episodes, merch, and the ability to suggest episodes for us to do in the future. Thank you to my panelists. I could never ask for a better version of you. And thank you for listening. Until next time, remember, everyone is entitled to their wrong opinions. Shaka Khan! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.